It is the Ray Johnson Leadership Podcast. I'm your host, Brad Lominick. Standing in, setting in, subbing in for Ray. And uh, we've got a great episode for you, a great conversation that Ray had with Ricky Jenkins, pastor of Southwest Community Church in Palm Springs. Tough, tough assignment there, Ricky. And uh, Chris Brown, also a tough assignment, the uh, lead pastor of North Coast Church in the San Diego area. And what they're discussing is obviously a big issue for all of us right now. This whole idea of what does it look like for us to love and lead in uncertain times? You know, these are obviously times and days and weeks and months right now that we, we feel like we're disoriented and things are uncertain and there's lack of clarity. So what does it look like for us to lead and love? And those are two very important pieces of that equation both leading and loving, because some of us are leading, but we're not loving, and some of us are loving, but we're not leading. So what does it look like? How do, how do we do that? What's the practical ways that, that they're doing it? Um, what, are, what are some of the keys to pushing our people, and whether it's staff or congregations or volunteers, into the places where they need to go? Uh, and this is what leaders do, leaders. You know, we, we are willing to stand up and, and be the one that, that has to uh, have some courage. So not an t- not a easy assignment, but one that we all have to embrace. So let's jump into that conversation. And they're, they're diving deep. This is, a, this is a fun interview to have both of them obviously joining Ray on the podcast here. So this is Ray Johnston, Chris Brown, and Ricky Jenkins. First of all, welcome everybody. Glad to have you on the Ray Johnston Leadership Podcast. We, um, we, as we do this, there are people in several states counting up to try to figure out who won the election. There are people plotting with attorneys. Um, uh, and at least if you're outside the United States, I just got off the phone with a guy from Canada and he said, let me know if you need some Canadians to come down there and uh, at least give somebody a hug. And he said, it's just, it's crazy times right now. And today's topic is a one-off topic um, because we got so many people asking us for help about this. And it really is the question, during times of uncertainty, and right now we're not certain who the president is. We're not certain about anything. We're not certain about COVID. We're not certain about business people in our churches aren't certain they're going to exist. Um, And the problem is right in the middle of all this COVID uncertainty, we got hit with the most vicious, mean-spirited, polarizing campaign in history. Um, and because each each side raised billions of dollars, we got hit with political ads and social media. And as a result of all of that, five things have happened. Politics and politicians have dominated our conversations determined a lot of people's perspectives, developed a doomsday attitude and a lot of people, divided our churches and divided some of our church staffs and then distracted American Christians from their primary callings, um, all for politicians selling the lie that we will solve all your problems and save the world, which last time I checked was uh, Jesus's job. Um, and, and people have just felt so uncertain. I got some statistics out of San Diego uh, last week, um, and it was things like this. There was an 8,000 percent 8, increase in the calls to the suicide hotlines, 8,000 um, percent. Somebody told me that in San Diego, there were six, the six weeks into COVID, there were 498 more suicides than all of last year. And what's happening is this, for the first time, more people are now dying of COVID restrictions than COVID itself. And people are as shaken as I've ever seen and as are uncertain about the future. And we have the privilege of leading them while going through the same thing they're going through. So I asked Ricky Jenkins from Southwest Church and Chris Brown from North Coast um, if they would join us and we would have a conversation about how do you lead who feel like nothing certain? How do you lead? How do you lead the people you love in uncertain times? So, Ricky and Ricky, welcome, man. Glad you're here, Chris. Glad you're here. Thanks for joining us, guys. And I want to begin with a, a quick question. And, and Ricky, I'll start with you. 
And here it is. Right now, what are you doing to get pastored yourself? Yeah. Well, Ray, you are a big part of that. And I would want to encourage all the pastors and leaders that are on this call that sometimes you'll be tempted to believe that you've got to be Superman and our superwoman and our people are needy and there's a lot of anxiety there. And I am doing my best right now, Ray, to make sure that I don't make the mistake of assuming that I can take this myself. And so I'm getting with people like you and Jack Hamilton and my mentors, and I'm making sure that I'm scheduling more time than I would normally because I need my well, um, I need my tank filled. I, I need my heart to be encouraged. And I'm leaning into a lot of the older and wiser guys uh, and making sure that as I'm pastoring other people that I'm being pastored. So I'm, I'm, I'm talking to guys like you, Ray. Fun knowing who's just as the other team right now. And we've got a sole for focus and purpose. Uh, we're going to be good. And, and, and part of it, Oh, it says my internet connection is unstable. I hope this is working for you guys. Um, You're doing fine. Keep going. I was just saying, keeping that focus, I mean, so much of where the fear and panic comes from is because you're focused on what's in front of you instead of the big picture. I'm a missionary to an unchristian country. And if you're going to be a missionary to that country, you want to probably be in the worst state. And I am in the most jacked up state of that country. I'm in the best place a missionary can be with a team that is bound to our same mission. I mean, the darker it gets, the brighter we're supposed to be. I've got so much hope at this time. It's ridiculous. Oh, that's a, that's a good, Chris, give me an example of when you were the most discouraged and what was it about in the last six months? Easy. I had a couple of weeks in July where I listened to Christian voices in my head and I was onto social media and too much news. And I tell you, man, that is a great way to get distracted by where I'm a citizen. And I found myself becoming a citizen of the U.S. and a citizen of California. And if that's where my citizenship is, there's all kinds of reason to panic and be in despair. And I had three weeks where I just kind of lost myself. It's almost like a Psalm 73 where Asaph said, my feet almost slipped. I started watching the world around me and I forgot to look up. And uh, I had three weeks in July where I felt... I felt blue. I felt down. And those of you that know me, man, I just don't get down. I got the coolest job, the greatest family. I got two friends. I have everything I need. And uh, and yet, man, I let this culture and this storm take my eyes off of the boat, who was in the boat with me and the direction we were heading. And that's when I got down. And it came from Christian voices in my life, not the world, not the world. What were those voices saying? You suck. You should resign. Uh, you're not taking a stand. You're a wussy leader. Don't you understand the First Amendment? Why aren't you speaking out about the real sin issues? This isn't about a personality. It's about policies. This is what's wrong with the church in America today. It has leaders like you. Just a lot of encouraging words like that were coming in. Well, I tell you, it's like you're reading my mail and every other pastor's mail. <laughs> I mean, the it, it is like if you... If, if you're a leader, you're playing lose-lose. I mean, you just say, wear a mask. I mean, every right-wing person thinks you've sold out to the governor. I actually got a letter. The governor has become your god. How dare you ask me to wear a mask? But you even say, hey, we're meeting. Everybody on the left thinks you're trying to kill the whole community. So there is, it's like we're playing lose-lose. Yeah. So, Rick, Ricky, same question. When were you the most discouraged in the last five or six months? Uh, it's probably somewhere around June, Ray, on the other side of the George Floyd uh, uprisings and contemplating with um, what those realities were speaking into me as a black man and as a black dad, uh, but also towing the tension with the riots and the madness surrounding that issue, coupled with the pandemic, coupled with the fact that it was starting to become apparent that this pandemic wasn't going to be a three-month thing. It may be a year thing and maybe even more coupled with the fact that I live in the Coachella Valley and in June, it's about 118 degrees a day. <laughs> and so I think I was at a point, Ray, where to, and I'll just confess here, I was spending more time reading Twitter articles than gospel letters. Um, and I started to, 
to kind of become inundated with hearsay and what if this um, happens with the pandemic? What if this happens with the election? What if race relations goes this way? Who are these defund the police people? What is going on? And I just was kind of drowning in the swirl of the conversation surrounding the issues. And God just said, really? This is how you want to this is how you want to play this one. Major disruption, uh, the likes of which your generation has never before seen. And you're going to spend more time on Twitter reading articles than on more time on your face and more time with your brothers in Christ. And I just kind of gave it up. I let the election go. I let the race relations go. I let all of the swirl around those issues go so that I could be salt and light in the moment with my team here at Southwest, with my brothers and sisters in Christ that I'm in relationship with. And I'm still sweating through it. I'm still, you know, kind of dealing with the burdens, but so much from a more healthier perspective once I turned off the noise and turned up the voice of God with scripture, with prayer, with my brothers, with my family, with my team here at Southwest. And it's been good. I've got it all figured out and I've got the meaning of life ready for all of you guys, <laughs> but I got to go to lunch. <laughs> That'll do it. So now, did either one of you guys go to do that? I had to get out of town. Yeah, for sure. You guys. Okay. I, yeah, I took, place. you know, even at that time, you weren't supposed to fly and go anyplace. I don't care. I took my family to Mexico for two weeks. It was the first two-week vacation I've ever taken in my life. It was planned a year ago. When everyone said, don't get on a plane, don't travel, I was the first time in my life I was in a place in ministry where I wanted to leave ministry. I didn't want to quit my job. I just needed to clear my head because of what the end of June and July did. And uh, and yeah, I got out of town, sat by the beach, um, let my kids go do what they want because they're teenagers, um, read a book, and just had a little self-talk of, dude, what are you in this for? Come back to what you're called to do and how you're called to do it. And you're upset as a missionary that the culture we sent you to doesn't agree with you and your heart. Shame on you. Get off the mission field or get back on mission. Yeah, I, w I went out to Coronado near Chris Brown to spend some time with him and learned that he had flew away and to be in Mexico. And so after that, me and my wife flew up to Linden, Washington, as about as far north as you can go before you hit into Canada. Ray, I stayed on a farm with a friend here at the church, I was 300 yards away from the Canadian border. I walked every morning for two, three miles a day, picking Washington apples, spending time with family. I would go to dairy farms and pet cows and then go enjoy the fruit of their ministry at, a, uh, at an ice cream shop right next door and just had a good time with my wife and with my savior, man. And it was awesome. Came back with fresh perspective. One of the lessons is, man, get out of Dodge occasionally. Jesus went to a lonely place and was by himself, man, and and protect your family. They, uh, well done. Um, and by the way, knowing you guys well and knowing your ministry and we get to hang some, uh, they, good job. Because I, I the one of the businesses thriving right now, I mean, if you want to make some money, start a Christian search firm. They are packed because every pastor is quitting. I just, got a, I just got the phone from a guy in Canada that is impacting more people for Christ. He's leading more teenagers to Christ than anybody I know. And he's trying to figure out how do we even keep this thing open? $4 million in debt. I mean, all of this kind of stuff. This is one of the most effective ministries. He thinks it'll be three years before they're back fully running. And what do I do? And I said to him, man, I said, whatever you do, you know, just take every other step and just don't bail. They, um, if God's called you, he's called you and take better care of yourself. Let, let me ask you a couple practical questions here. Um, a lot of Christians in our churches on both sides are discouraged or depressed or scared because their candidate or their party didn't win. What would you say to them? Yeah, I'll, I'll take a stab at that before Chris polishes it up, Ray. Um, here at our church and some of the things that we've been trying to lift up through the gospel uh, and God's word over the last several months was, um, I, I call it on the inside, the three C's. I'm trying to give our people context. I'm trying to give them comfort and I'm trying to give them clarity. Context, comfort, and clarity. Context is just the reminder to modern day Christians who, uh, just a reminder that for all intents and purposes, if you're American in the land of the free and the home of the brave, and if you are a Christian evangelical, 
you have had a great run of success, um, opportunity, uh, great things, expanding the kingdom of the gospel for the last 60, 70 years or so. We've had exponential blessing and we've forgotten about that. And so what I do is I remind them of context and history that says that most of Christian history, our Christian ethic is actually more used to political disruption and chaos than it is political stability. So when you get outside of the last couple of hundred years and you see what Paul had to go through with Nero, and you see what the fathers had to go through with oh, crazy princes on the throne. When you see what um, um, the guys in the Renaissance era had to do with crazy popes. If you are a Bible-toting, Jesus-believing Christian, the last 2,000 years, you have not had a good guy on the throne who was partnered with you to exalt Jesus Christ. And so I want, I'm just reminding Christians that our faith has thrived in disruption. Our faith has thrived when it seemed like we were on threat. And so it's just, context is just helpful because one of Satan's lies is to make you think that this is the worst thing that's ever happened and it's gonna be hard and impossible. But I remind them of history that says that the same God who's on the throne today, God has got Christians through moments of political disruption time and time and time and time again. In fact, historically, he uses political disruption way more than he uses political stability. And so our faith can shine. The gospel was made for moments like this. And then just comfort, Ray. God loves you. God sees this. God's not surprised by this. God's going to get us through this thing. And then clarity. In light of this, how now shall I live? What the gospel says, I'm a citizen of heaven as well as a citizen of America. And that I'm supposed to be given more to kingdom than I am to country. That I told the two intention, but kingdom wins each and every time. And if my heart has that kind of focus, it doesn't matter who wins because I know that even though there's a different guy in the White House, I know that the same guy is on the throne. Jesus is his name. And I can sleep at night. I can rest at night because that president is on the throne. Yep. Yep. Now, Chris Brown, I just said something. I don't know how you're going to top that. Good luck, buddy. Good luck. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm sorry. I wasn't paying attention. Is it my turn? <laughs> Actually, I'm writing as fast as I can because I just no, got Ken, my message from the weekend. I'm Ricky, like, I, I know what I'm way, teaching John, on. John Valisky, we will be reposting what Ricky just said. We might repost something Chris says that's still up for grabs <laughs> no that was good that was much better I just wrote my entire message for the weekend right now no Done. I've always at times like this Ray I've gone to three C's clarity comfort and context <laughs> some put that in a different order but I'm going to show you why I think they're wrong um now really it's the same thing that Ricky's doing because he's got a pastor's heart and the guy's brilliant. And that's why I love hanging out with him. It's getting your people to understand you are allowing your party to ruin our party. And you're not supposed to. Your politics is getting in the way of our, of our party as Christians. Where is our joy? Where is our hope? Where is our peace? Where is that found? It's You're finding it in the wrong party. We're children of God. We're in the family of God. This is supposed to be ours. And when you try to find your love, hope, peace, and justice in the world around you or in the country you live in, man, be prepared to be severely disappointed. And I, I love it's that tension that Ricky talked about. We beg our people to vote. We beg our people to make sure we take our faith into the polling booths with us. But there, it's not even a close second kingdom versus country. And for me, it's reiterating to our people, I think a lot of you are going to hate the second coming. You're just going to hate it for a couple of reasons. One, you want heaven now. You're not looking forward to another place. You don't want to go somewhere else. And because of that, you're trying to make this your heaven, your peace, your joy, your safety, your longevity, your retirement, your comfort. And then I think, secondly, we forget these things must happen to usher in the second coming. The second coming is not coming back in a time of world peace. The second coming is coming back in a time of total disruption. And so yeah. I just look at that and go, man, remember the big picture here, everybody, of, of whose you are, not where you live. And remember the big picture here of citizenship. I think I can't say it better than what, what Ricky did. And it's just we are letting our party ruin our party as Christians because we're so caught up in the politics. If you look last night. Well, I, I turned it off at 2.30 in the morning. I turned it back on at 6. As far as I saw final results, speaking to those of us in California, 
we have the largest gap in disparity between Republican and Democrats, I believe, in the U.S. Um, if it's not the largest, it's got to be in the top three. That is my mission field. These are the people I am called to reach. Right. And so I think when we as Christians get all caught up in a, in a Republican party, if we are missional, we are taking ourselves off the mission field. And that's why our church has gone to great lengths. The Christian voices hate us to not be political in this time, because this is my mission field. If we had a couple come up and say, hey, I'm called to Russia. I feel like God's calling us to Russia. We've got a place in Moscow. Can you guys support us? And I'm like, man, what are you going to be doing in Russia? It's like, I don't know. I, I hate the Communist Party. I want to speak out against Russian ideology. I don't like Russian people. I'm like, you, you may not want to go to Russia. Or if you do, you're going to want to keep your mouth shut. And I feel like as ministers, and hear me, because I know we're called to be different churches. For us here at North Coast, I am called to reach Democrats and liberals, and we are doing it by the hundreds and the thousands. I would love to know how our church vote went, because I know we have staff and people that were split on both sides. And that is my mission field. So I'm not going to preach out, speak out, or get angry at one party's ideology over the other. Yes, I know there's policy and sin issues involved on both sides, but I'm going to see the bigger picture is, man, this is who I'm trying to reach with the gospel, not for a political view. Yep. I, there's, by the way, both, that's brilliant. The, the, I think the other thing going on in American Christians, or at least California Christians, um, <laughs> is we just don't have a theology of suffering. And, and probably never had. So most people, if they're suffering, are thinking, oh, this is not the blessing of God. Whereas suffering was central to Jesus' experience. Suffering's part of the Christian life. And because we have no, and by the way, the only, I, in my opinion, growth only happens when people suffer, yeah. okay? Like yeah. if somebody's an alcoholic, and they they try to quit drinking. I've had I've had alcoholics come up to me and say, "Man, not drinking is killing me." And I'm going, "Good, because that killing suffering and suffering will lead you to freedom." Okay, but we don't have a theology of suffering, so which is why Christians tip, they don't tithe, they and when something goes wrong, they freak out. Hey, I mean, hey, you know, I'm in Northern California. Um, I'm in Placer County, which tends to lean more Republican and everybody up here, I got tons of people in my church going, if the wrong party wins, I'm buying a gun and I'm moving out of California. And I'm going, wait a second, maybe instead of buying a gun and moving out of California, we should reach this whole section of our state for Christ. Maybe we should ratchet up our evangelism efforts, um, as opposed to, I'm just going to react to but with no theology of suffering, pain equals I'm going to run. So if my marriage is suffering, I run from that. If my church is suffering, I quit and run from that. I, I can go on and on. I got to keep asking questions. But it um, is, Ray, I think you tapped on it because what you're talking about is what is your mission? Yes. If my mission is safety and luxury, I got to get out of here. If Smart. my mission is suffering and reaching the suffering, this is the best state in the union. And I think that's what we've been getting to. I tell my people all the time. We say we want to follow Jesus. We just demand that we get a better life than he lived. And, and, and we would never say that like that, but our life, our prayers give it away all the time. I want to follow Christ. I just demand a much better life than what God gave his son um, because we don't have a theology of walking through suffering. Yep. We had a pastoral team meeting uh, not too long ago where we were venting because we're getting all this email, all these letters, and we were just having a safe space to vent with each other's leaders. And one of our guys said, um, if we all get to heaven and they have a game to see which generation of Christians suffered the most, uh, do you, how, how, how good do our chances look? So you're gonna have Paul's generation saying we were beheaded you were going to have the Crusades where there was genocide. You're going to have all these backs and forths. And we'll be saying, well, we were still free, but man, we had to do takeout for a year. There was a couple of years where it was just kind of, you know, not as comfortable financially. And you know what? Our vision of America looks a little different than what it did the previous 50 years. And don't hear me mitigating and belittling what we're going through. But do hear me say, when you look at the weight of history, 
this is but a drop in the bucket for what God's people, what he's trusted his people to go through time and time again. And God was big for them in those previous centuries. He's going to be big for us in this moment. Perspective is everything. And Ricky, I love that, but don't even look generationally. You have to, as a Christian, refuse to use the word suffering for what we're going through. If you look at our current world and many countries today, I mean, when Christian or when pastors talk about how we're suffering, I'm like, where are you coming from? Are you coming from North Korea? Are you coming from China? Are you coming from Haiti? Or are you talking about your election and this is suffering? We owe an apology to the Christians in our generation who live daily in suffering when we talk about having to wear a mask. That's it. Yeah, or we or we go to a movie theater. We there's a movie theater near us. They opened up a couple years ago, and they got the biggest reclining leather seats. I mean, better than anything in my living room. Then a new one opened up where a table. The seats don't recline, but they're leather, and a table swings around in front of you, and you press a button, and they bring you food. It's amazing. And we went there. We're walking out, and a friend of mine says. I don't like that theater. I go, why? He goes, he goes, how lame is it that the seats don't recline? I'm literally going, we are, <laughs> our idea of what suffering is, is walking away from a theater where they're bringing us food. And, and I actually think the problem is this. There are no great marriages that don't involve suffering. There are no great parents that don't suffer. There are, I heard Craig Rochelle at Thrive one time was talking about why his church grew big. You know, why was, and he said, to be really honest with you, he said, there's a lot of stuff we do. However, he said, the secret to reaching more people, he said, here it is. The room got really quiet and we got their pens and I'm going to write this down. He said, suffering. He said, it's a willingness to endure more pain. He said, it is harder to do seven services than it is one. It is harder to fire people to hire somebody. He said, he said, he said, generally all growth comes and springs from a willingness to not quit, but to choose suffering as a lifestyle. In other words, instead, he said, so if a marriage is shaky, you suffer and st- Stay with it and make it better. He said, all growth tends to come from a root of of the problem is in America, we got no theology of suffering in our churches or in our movie theaters. So um, next, next question on this one. Um, uh, Hot topic. We have at Bayside, and I think you guys do, we have very, very committed Republicans and very, very committed Democrats in the same church. I have very committed Republicans and very committed Democrats on the same staff. Neither one of them can understand for the lifetime how you could possibly be one or the other. If you're a Republican, you're obviously a racist. And if you're a Democrat, you're obviously for killing babies. How in the, And there is no middle ground coming together on this. Do you guys have this in your church and on your staff and how you deal with it? Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We definitely have that. I'll, I'll talk about a situation we had um, with one of our staff members who wore a BLM T-shirt. And it upset another staff member who was very pro-Trump. And um, I would probably say my valley that I live in is largely right-wing, very conservative. But here on staff, right, we had this conversation. Uh, And so we had a meeting with the staff. You know, how do you navigate politics? How do you navigate movements? And here's some cool stuff that kind of came out uh, that I think is that was helpful for us and perhaps it'll be helpful for you. Um, we reminded our staff that if you choose to use the talking points of the secular world and the flashpoints of culture as a starting point for conversation, you're going to get lost in the dross of how the world does things. But the, our conversation has to stop with what start with what Scripture teaches, what God has called us to, to reconciliation and all those sorts of things. Because we kept getting the question, how are we supposed to show up in these movements? How do we show up with MAGA? How do we show up with BLM? How do we show up with the Me Too movement? And what I labored to tell the staff was, yeah, movements come and go, but the Church of Jesus Christ is the capital M movement of history. And that the best way is to not start with the movement, but to start with God's movement, which is his church and his will that is being fleshed out in the kingdom. 
And so one of the things we told our staff was, hey, before you speak, before you post, don't go further than Ricky has gone. That's probably a good rule of thumb. So if I hadn't said it from the pulpit, you probably shouldn't say it on your Instagram. (laughs) If I haven't kind of marched us down that avenue, you should probably steer clear. But the other piece we said, Ray, that I thought was really and truly helpful was this idea that movements are fleeting, but only Jesus is eternal. And so what does it look like for us to have conversation from a place where, hey, let's start with Jesus before we start with what you're saying? Because the point I was trying to make to them, and I hope I'm not confusing you guys because I just think it was important. I use this language and it's pretty heavy. I said to our staff, the unforgivable sin is not having a conversation. And so you don't get to have a politic. You don't get to have a a passion for a movement. You don't get to have this when your brother and sister and your staff on the other side has a whole nother, you know, talking point than you and not having an actual conversation. So we got to have conversations. That's got to be the norm. So John 4, basically, Jesus going to see the woman at the well was a proverbial Jewish lives matter versus Samaritan lives matter. And what Jesus does is he meets this woman where she is and has conversation and brings renewal and reconciliation through the whole ordeal. Conversation, conversation, conversation. Chris, same question. Yeah, I would echo basically the same thing. I would just say clear and much better, um, which would kind of be in this that paint the big picture and paint it by numbers, paint it often. Um, I hope everyone on this knows how good of friends Ricky and I are. I don't yeah, know. And that you're joking that. around. We, we hang around a little too much. Uh, yeah, we met like close. two weeks ago. Um, yeah, paint that big picture. As Ricky's saying, paint that big picture, but you're going to have to paint it by numbers and paint it often. And here is why, because when you get in this two party or whatever your people are focused at, that's the small picture will always distort the big one. The temporary picture is always going to distort the eternal because this is what I see, feel, I'm invested in. It's what's in front of me. And this goes back to that kingdom versus country. Paint that big picture constantly. Here's what we're about. Here's what we're called to do. Here's what eternity says about us. And that's got to shrink that more temporary, that party picture that is in front of you. These things are important, but in no way, shape or form do they compare with why we were on this earth and what we were called to do. I use the example for our staff first and then took it to our church of uh, the disciples in the boat during the storm. And they are freaked out by the wind, by the waves, by the ferociousness of the sea, by what's breaking across this northern sea of Galilee. And these are seasoned fishermen. So when you look at context, they should be afraid. They have a right to be afraid. There is real fear around them. Now, those of you that have been to Sunday school, you know the story. They wake up Jesus. He says, be calm, be still. Everything goes flat. We forget the following verse that says, then they were terrified and said, who is this? That speaks to even the wind and waves. Not only do we not have a theology of suffering in our church, We don't have a good suffering of the fear of God. And part of that big picture is getting people. If you fear the politics that are going on and around you and what they may lead to, you better be terrified about the God that is with you. And Jesus is my homeboy. Jesus is my forever friend. Jesus is my lifelong buddy. And those may be true, but we've forgotten the fear in that story had a temporary, what was in front of me? There's a storm that we're going through as a nation. Mm-hmm. However, once they put their eyes and they knew something about the God in their boat, they went from being afraid to being terrified. And, and I think that helps you get what Ricky's talking about, too, that big picture we're constantly painting for our people. What is the eternal purpose? What is the eternal vision? What is our eternal call? If you can keep missional, then you can look at the wind, look at the storm, but you hold it in perspective and say, well, whatever side of the boat you're on, we're still brothers and sisters because there's a much bigger picture. So leaders, if you aren't painting that picture by number, because people have to have it spelled out, the temporary storm is always going to interfere with the eternal perspective. Yep. Um, What are both you guys, you're in similar churches, but you're in very different uh, locations. I mean, you got the beach, you got the desert. Um, What are you doing about reopening? 
We're going slow. I told our people from the beginning, we may be one of the last churches. We definitely won't be the first through the wall. And that is, again, because we are more missional. I am not down on any church that opened. Um, they probably have a different mission to their community than, than we have, because we're all in this army of Christ. And some are meant to be on the front line. Some are meant to be middle. Some are meant to be in the back in logistics and supply chain. And all of it makes it work. We have worked for 40 years to build a relationship of how much we love our community, our schools, our city councils, our government, to a point where three mayors, multiple city council men and women all attend our church because it's the one church you can go to and not be shot at in chambers if it ever comes up, um, and how we love our community. So how we open and when we open, we have put into context has much more to do with what we say to the community than what we're doing with Christians. And that is where I got sideways in July because Christians were demanding, kick open the doors, claim First Amendment, get us all in. And I go, have you seen what the communities around those churches are saying about them? Um, because it's out there. And we've gone way, way too far and long in loving our community and how we open. We're going to do it by how we love non-Christians, not how we're loving Christians. The vast majority of North Coast loves that we're not worried about their feelings in future, we're worried about the feelings and future outside the church. We're already going to heaven. We're trying to reach others in that. So we've done outdoor worship gatherings. Second week of January, we're going to move to outdoor, some live teaching and worship. Um, but we've been closed indoors. We've been going strictly by our county and our state guidelines. We've been trying to be as respective as possible. Um, it's funny, the head right now of the COVID uh, task force on... Um, how things are being implemented in San Diego. That whole team attends North Coast. And, and all I get from our mayor, city council, and from the COVID team for San Diego County is, thanks for being an answer for us, not a problem. So we're unique in that area. I have nothing against churches that are open. Bless them. They're in a different part of the army. They're moving in different frontiers than we are. But we're going slower. We're waiting until second week of January just to open outdoor services with live teaching and worship. Right now, there's just Sunday night worship experiences, no teaching, and everything's gone online. Yep. Ricky, same question, then I have a follow-up follow question to that one. Yeah, I'll echo a lot of what Chris um, said, Ray, so I won't be as um, unbelievably long-winded as he just was. Um, but first of all, just to empathize with my brothers and sisters on this call, this is hard. And if there's anybody on this call that's saying, I know exactly what to do, uh, woe is you. This is going to be a long, hard, probably back and forth, arduous trek for all of us as leaders trying to figure it out. So I'm praying for you, dear brothers and sisters. Uh, I will also say, man, every church is going to have a different expression of how God wants their church to show up. Like North Coast, we here at Southwest have said, you know what? We've got a short-term responsibility to shepherd our people, to connect with them, but we've got a long-term witness that we are concerned about. And I am thinking about the other side of the pandemic and what I want this neighborhood to think about our witness for Christ. And when I look at Eisenhower Hospital's numbers of what's going on with COVID, when I look at what's happening with families uh, and to all that intention, it seems like, you know what, moving forward, we want to be good on, in the room, which means some sort of live connection, boutique gathering, but also good on the Zoom. Continue to do digital well. Uh, so we've been closed all this time, but this weekend, guys, we're opening up. We call it Church on the Lawn because it's finally not 197 degrees in the desert. So we're going to have what we call the three S's. It's safe, it's sound, and it's sustainable. And so we're outdoors. We've got a screen. It's sound, which means we're going to kind of maximize on the gathering, the connection part, more than we do the actual kind of programmatic service piece. And then thirdly, it's sustainable. So if our county numbers get worse, we can still sustain something and not have to cancel again because it's already outdoors. It's already socially distanced and all those good things. So we feel like we can ebb and flow with uh, COVID as we move forward. And our prayer is that by January, our numbers are better where we can make that service all the way live and eventually get back into our room. And hey, there are going to be other churches that are just as in love with Jesus and hearing just as much from the spirit who are going to do it in a different way. And that's okay. We are thinking about the long-term witness. And Ray, let me add before I sound too pharisaical on my last answer. So much of how we're doing this is because of our size and logistics. 
I've said constantly in front of our people and to our staff, if we were a smaller church, we would probably be open or at least a lot more open because of our size and our seven campuses and many of our campuses can't get on them because they're school sites. Because of that logistic, we're going to move slow because we'd either have to break the rules or we're going to become a media spectacle the moment we get thousands of people side by side. I don't want to be that media spectacle. And by size, we can't do it. So there's pastors out there, churches that we've planted in the area that I've told them open. You can do this. You can do this well open. So for us, our reason for this is our mission and our size. Don't hear theology in my answer. Yeah. One of the things I love about the three of us is we're all doing different stuff. Because we've been open for months. Um, Our Midtown campus just reopened a couple weeks ago. It's a city different than some of the other churches. Um, And and we've also been saying we won't be shut down again. Um, But the but let me ask you both this question. Um, There are pastors. I heard a guy from Southern California, but I've heard more than one pastor. Uh, This guy to Southern California was got all revved up and was preaching to his church and frankly was bragging about his courage level. And he was saying, we are open. Other churches aren't open because they're afraid of the governor and the governor's more their God. We're open because we believe in the Bible and the First Amendment, all that kind of stuff. And I actually, a guy looked at the camera and said, and I am calling on every church in Southern California to open up now and exercise your constitutional right. Read your Bibles. We should obey God rather than men. In other words, he was highly condemning of everybody that wasn't being led like he's being led. That then gets every pastor that's being led differently condemned for not having courage. Have you experienced any of that? And what would you say about that? Because that's a hot topic these days for churches and pastors. I have known for a long time, I'm not a good pastor or a very real pastor. I've just been open with it to my staff and my congregation, and they still want me around. So when I hear guys like that, celebrity pastors, I just go, if that's your idea of being a real pastor, I've never been one anyway. I've just always spoken to our crowd and go, let me tell you our convictions. I don't even give it into his announcement, his very bad theology, incredibly poor exegesis, and his use of scripture was just embarrassing. But that aside, we go back to what are our convictions. You know, here's our convictions for our church. And that's why I'm very quick even here to jump in and go, guys, listen, listen. This is our mission and our size. This is not my theology. Um, and so I tell every pastor, what are you called to do? Who do you have that's called to do it? And what does your track record say about how you handle this and how you be missional on this? Stick with your mission. Don't abort your mission. And there are pastors, their mission is to be the first one through the wall, the first one to take the hits for everybody else. We're going to stand against any government overreach that we see. That is your mission. Keep leading in that way. That's not our mission. Just don't put yours on mine like I won't put mine on anyone else's. And here's what we have. We're well over 88. The last time I said 88, our uh, our data analysis came back and said 92% um, of our North Coast people stand firmly behind our mission and our resolve in what we're doing and how we're doing. That's all I need to know because they have drank the Kool-Aid here. They know what this church is about. Yep. Yeah, I just, I just feel like there there's not too many wrong ways to reopen. I think we need to be more sensitive to the wrong attitude with which to reopen. I think that's, that's good. The, I think that's, that's the lesson. And we felt like here, at least for the time being, things may change, right? Like eventually we got to gather, eventually got to get back. I get that. But we felt like in this moment in Riverside County, where our schools cannot gather, where our businesses cannot fully reopen, where our community organizations literally cannot have their events, we didn't want to be the church that says, nanny boo boo to principals and to administrators and to business owners, we're going to open up full fledged, nanny boo boo, because we're the church and not show solidarity and humility and share in their brokenness and share in their pain and share in their having to move slow. So one of the reasons we did what we did because we wanted to say to schools, we're in this with you. We want, And we're doing all kinds of stuff outside. I'm doing a rap freestyle contest 
tonight for kids because we're raising money for teachers to encourage them. I'm going to win that rap freestyle contest, by the way. That's obvious. But we're doing all sorts of stuff in an unconventional way to show the community we are here to go through the same rigor, the same pressure that you're having to go through in this moment, all in the name of Jesus. Yep. That's good. You got two more, two last questions. One is this, and Ricky, you just started to touch on it. What are your churches doing to be the hands and feet of Jesus to your communities right now? Because I mean, they need us more than now, more than ever. Well, Ray, uh, what you taught me, pastor, was that um, the most important uh, thing you need is encouragement. And so I'm thinking about uh, when there was a prophecy, I heard Andy Stanley talking about this the other day, Acts 11, when there was a prophet that said a famine was coming. Uh, The church in that moment didn't leave California and go to Idaho. Nothing wrong with those who do, by the way, and I'd love to be at your lake house. Uh, But the church didn't leave and the church didn't go um, rogue. They didn't go buy up a thousand guns. What they did was say, okay, who needs the most help? And the people that needed the most help were the Jewish Christians down in Jerusalem. Let's go help them. So when disruption and when pain comes, the church should be asking the question, okay, who needs our help? And so that was the question we asked. We were starting a major campaign. We are gonna do a lot of compassion initiatives, 7 million bucks. Literally, we're gonna do the uh, first pledge night, March 17th. And so that was the first thing we canceled when the pandemic started. Uh, But we said, what would it look like for us to do a baby campaign and give $750,000 away? And so just like a lot of churches represented here, we've been on our parking lot every other Friday, giving food away to the community. We've raised school supplies and backpacks and stuff. And we're coming alongside our teachers who are teaching online. We're doing all that stuff regularly in our outreach. But we wanted to make a big dent to make sure our local food banks didn't go broke to make sure that our uh, rescue missions for the homeless had what they needed. And our church raised $750,000 on one Wednesday night online. There is a God somewhere. And we <laughs> gave all that money away to, in the name of Jesus, just to remind our people that even though a lot of us are struggling in our churches, there are a lot of communities, a lot of families that are struggling way, 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 way more. So those are some of the things that we've been doing, yeah. right? Chris, same question. Oh, hold on. I'm just finishing entering a rap battle that I found out was happening tonight. <laughs> Good. Sorry. I just got a text. So there was very little competition. Uh, community service. Yeah. It's one thing to say, Hey, you love your neighbors, but how are you doing it? And I think that's always been Ray. You guys know that that's what North coast has been about. Um, we're going to love people outside the church more than we love our people inside. And I think just having that difference gets Christians out of your church that demand to be loved, you know, cause they're like, Hey, we're here for others, not for ourselves. We're already in. And so for us, our whole love your neighborhood campaign took off in this. Every single San Diego food bank said, stop. Um, we raised 130,000 pounds of dry goods. Um, and they said, we're done. We've got more than any San Diego food bank has ever been. The red cross said, Hey, we need blood drives at this time. Cause people aren't coming out and doing blood drives. Just little things like that. So we've got 10 blood drives. Every one of them were every spot filled by North Coast. We did 8,000 students on learning distance bags. A lot of them didn't have computers. They didn't have headphones. They didn't have the tools, the notebooks, the home supplies. A ton of our kids here in North County, we're not down in San Diego. We're not gated communities. So a lot of our kids up here in North County, the only paper, pens, pencils they get is when they go to school. They don't take those with them. And so we supplied some 8,000 students with these bags that had all of your supplies, all of your books, all of your markers, highlighters, everything, plus headphones in there. And then found out which ones didn't have devices to watch school on because their whole school changed. If you don't have headphones when you're living in a a small apartment with three families, you're not going to pay attention. Um, So dropping those off was huge. Um, Here's the other thing that we started finding out a couple months ago. A ton of our NGOs in this area and and, uh, they do all their fundraisers. You know, they have these little galas, events, auctions to raise funds to keep their ministries going. They lost that this year. So we started coming alongside what Christian organizations lost their fundraising 
how do we supply their fundraising, like the Pregnancy Resource Center for teenage girls, and just said, man, how much did you guys lose? How can we start giving back in those um, to make up for that? Here's what I love about having a history of loving your community. City council now, mayor's office, um, they come to us. So one of the things was all the restaurants have to go outside. You guys have seen what happened in the area. They build little patio decks or they put up little railings. So now you have outdoor seating in restaurants that never had it. Who does that? Most restaurants can't afford to do that. So our local city council came to us and said, North Coast, you always said you'd be an answer, not a problem. Here's a problem we have. And so we helped with the funds and we had so many people, especially that weren't working full time, who had carpentry skills. And we started building beer decks all across Vista. If you know anything about Vista, they call it the Hop Highway because of the amount of microbreweries that are here. And I was so proud where my mom, Oklahoma, Texas Southern Baptist, will have a fit if she watches this. But I was so proud to be the church that built 20 beer decks on restaurants that otherwise would have to close. And uh, and it's restaurants, it's drinking, it's outdoors. And we just said, let's build it. Let's do it. And so that's the stuff right now we look at um, because we're a small group based church. The amount of people that are still meeting in groups is through the roof because they're missing that connection. The teaching's still there. I mean, when people say, hey, when are you going to open the church? I immediately respond with, oh, it's never closed. In fact, we're having one of the best years ever. What are you hearing? Oh, a lot of people are saying your church is closed. And I'm like, oh, they're talking about buildings and doors at an address. This church is having one of the best 2020s and best years we've ever had. Um, The church is the people of God, not an address. And I love what's happening in the community because it's hard times and the church can stand up and be a light. By the way, I'm glad to hear about the uh, IPA thing. Both... Our Folsom Church, um, our Folsom Church, and our church in Santa Rosa went to both old towns and built all of the restaurants there outside venues for free. Lights, the whole thing. Um, the Russian River Brewing Company, which is a big IPA deal. Uh, there, <laughs> Chris, your eyes are lighting up. The um, their big Pliny the Younger, Pliny the Elder, and Pliny the Younger. You're right, and um, they. There, somebody came and said, hey, you got to check this out, man. On their Instagram site, they just posted a huge thing, got 3,000 likes, said, Russian River Brewery would like to thank Bayside Church for keeping us open. I went, do not repost that on our church site. The, I don't need the flack. But, and, and then one lady commented on there and said, are you kidding? I didn't know there was a church in this town. Okay, So sometimes going out and being the hands and feet of Jesus to people that you were... That's cool stuff. Last so, right, I'm at North Coast, most of our people use those decks, but I'm a little taken back. And I'm going to say, maybe we should have taken this outline. I'm, I'm a little hurt <laughs> that you would actually know IPA and Pliny because I didn't bring that up in this conversation. I just, I expected more from you, not from me. Hey, hey I got two grown sons. The, and the last question is this. <laughs> um, what are you guys preaching on right now? What scriptures have been stirring up in you guys? We, uh, we do awfully long book studies and we talk too long each week and we're in the book of Acts. We started that in January, having no clue what this year would be. And it has been the most, now that I know how this overlays, there is not another series in the world that I would have picked to go better right now than how does the gospel come into a Roman government at a time where there's incredible racism happens with Greek and Gentile. How does the gospel come into government overreach to the Jewish state and the Israel? How does the government come into dark places with the gospel and doesn't get caught up in the politics? I mean, the book of Acts right now has definitely been what has kept our church the big picture. Every week, our comments just like, I can't believe how relevant the Bible is. And I know when you're using the word of God, as you should faithfully, it will speak into it. But the book of Acts has just given our church the runway to take off and go, this is what the gospel does in a world of of, of incredible government empowerment and overreach. Here's what it does in the world of racism. Here's what it does with split communities. Here's what it does between Jews and Greeks. Here's what the gospel does. And it is life-changing and world-changing. So we're in the book of Acts. That is good. 
Man, it's so fun to see how North Coast is using a series I preached four or five years ago to be a blessing to their congregation. Um, I just want to point out, one of us had the Spirit's timing, the other didn't. (laughs) We just finished kind of our politics season uh, series called Surrender, kind of lifting up the gospel as the radical third way, uh, not giving into the polarities, but giving way for the gospel. And we looked at the I must statements surrounding the life of Jesus to deal with the cultural moment. So I must uh, be in my father's house. I must go through Samaria. I must decrease. He must increase. And I, I think it was a blessing. I thought I was going to get fired. I'm, I still got a job. So that's a win. Uh, right now, we're starting up a series called um, Made Over, Simple Gospel Explication, where Jesus shows up in the Old Testament. So Jeremiah 18 in the, the potter's house looking at Ezekiel in the Valley of Dry Bones, just Jesus in the Old Testament to care for our folks that when life breaks down because of the gospel, he can make you over again. And the good news about the gospel is that it embraces the brokenness and uses brokenness as a part of your wholeness story that we're pretty pumped about. And we're stealing it all from Chris Brown as well. (laughs) Good wisdom. Glad the glad the ripping off's going on. Hey, I want to thank both you guys. I want to recommend a book on the subject that we we're just talking about. Rodney Stark is a professor at Notre Dame, wrote a book called The Rise of Christianity. And he basically asked the question: how in the world did the early Christians, with no political power, being persecuted, being killed, all of that stuff, how in the world did those little tiny band of overwhelmed, no resource Christians? literally take over the Roman Empire and replace a 2,000-year-old religious system. And and if you dive into that book and you get into that book and read it, it's called The Rise of Christianity. You get into that, you'll discover it was COVID. 2,000 years ago, COVID hit Rome in a different form. It was a pandemic. And when COVID hit Rome, the all of the politicians there to serve people, they all fled. The nobles all fled. The Christians stayed and at great suffering to themselves, um, took care of people, fed people, bandaged people, caught the disease themselves sometime and died for it. But Christians, it was their compassion during a pandemic that won the hearts of Rome. And when it was all over and if Julian came back and tried to reinstitute paganism, he could not get paganism going because Christians were so loved. This might be a season where if we apply some of this kind of stuff we've heard today, we're stopped buying guns and moving out of the state. Instead, be the hands and feet of Jesus and go take care of hurting people. This church just might win the hearts of the world again afresh. So both you guys, thanks so much. You guys are good friends and uh, you're just the best. So thanks so much for diving in. All right. Thanks again to Ricky Jenkins and Chris Brown for joining us. And for Ray for facilitating that conversation, really good stuff. Hopefully, you had your moleskin out. You were, uh, you know, you're taking notes. You're, you're uh, sharing this now with people on your team. You're sharing this with your friends. You're texting it to different people. Uh, if you want to, uh, if you want to get the video, you can watch this conversation at thriveconference.org. And each week, um, these conversations are being recorded. Sometimes they're live. And sometimes they're pre-recorded, but um, that's another way to jump in. So if you haven't signed up for the email to be on the email list with with Thrive, uh, you can do that at thrivecommerce.org as well. Just put your email in and then um, you'll be able to get updates and know when the next webinar is happening. And that way you can jump in and join uh, live if that's helpful for you. But it's always on demand, obviously here on the podcast and also by video at thrivecommerce.org. So go ahead, rate, review, subscribe. Send this to a friend. This is helpful stuff, and we want to share it as wide as possible. So get it out there. Help us uh, help us help other leaders. And as we always say on this podcast, we want to create thriving churches that are led by healthy leaders. So that's your assignment, leader, is make sure you're healthy. And both Ricky and Chris and Ray talked about this early on in the interview and continue to hit on it. If, if we're not getting filled up, if we're not investing in ourselves, if we're not leading well ourselves, it's going to be hard for us to love and lead other people during, especially during these times. Uh, So make sure you're filling your own tank. Make sure you're filling up your own well. Make sure you're 
you're taking time to, um, to uh, have rhythms that are important for you. Again, I'm Brad Lominick. Thanks for listening. Thanks for joining in. Thanks for, uh, for investing in yourself. And we'll talk to you on the next episode of the Ray Johnston Leadership Podcast.